Welcome to Governmentality, the podcast based in Aotearoa, New Zealand, where everything's political. We'll talk you through the opinions of old people and young people and help you to understand how all the buzz in the beehive affects you. Kia ora, everybody. Welcome back to Governmentality. Um, my name's Holly. And I'm Zandek. And today we have a very special guest on. We have Scott Sheeran, who is the National Party's Wellington Central electorate candidate. So lovely to have you on, Scott. Do you want to give us a bit of a rundown of who you are? Well, <laughs> kia ora katou. Well, um, it's really great to be here. I've been spending a lot of time at the university meeting a lot of mm-hmm. people, and it's a very, very vibrant, cool, interesting place. So I'm actually really looking forward to the discussion today. Um, oh, I don't even know where I'd start to give you a bit of a rundown <laughs> about me. I'd say... There's a lovely article in the Capital magazine, which um, Millie Brunel wrote a, a profile of me. I'd say read that. that yeah. And she's a very fine writer because she managed to turn um, a sow's ear into a silk purse in terms of describing me. <laughs> uh, look, I've had a very uh, interesting background. Um, mm-hmm. I've been a management consultant, a human rights defender, a barrister, a public servant, a diplomat, a military officer. And a few other Ooh, things as well. Lots so, of bits and pieces. Yeah, but you know, what I've, what I've sort of done in my life is I've always been really interested in challenges. Mm-hmm. I've been really interested in diversity and international things. I've mm-hmm. been interested in public service mm-hmm. and also in helping people. And so I haven't really had a good uh, theory of what to do. I've just sort of done a lot of interesting stuff. But what mm. it does mean is I've had a lot of interesting experiences and I do have quite a range of skills. Uh, mm. And... I've never planned, I'm 47 years old, I've never planned to be a politician, uh, but I have worked for ministers for the last eight years, and there was a point at which I just sort of looked at what's going on here, uh, looked at the future, and I looked down at my five-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, and four-month-old baby, and sort of thought, so that's Tane, Tiara, and Tasman, and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to put my hat in the ring, because nice. I, I just want them to have the best future possible, because I think this is the best country on the planet, and I also think that Wellington is the best city on the planet. Nice. I think I, I think you kind of covered off my second question, which was going to be what kind of brought you into politics, but kind of to summarise the need for a better future for New Zealand and Wellington specifically. Yeah, totally. And yeah, like awesome. New Zealand is a place that is just full of amazing possibilities. You know, the people are really incredible. We have this amazing kind of blend in our culture of sort of like we've got this, you know, we've got it, we're a Western developed country mm-hmm. in terms of what that means for all sorts of opportunities and education and things like that. But then we're a bicultural country. We're very diverse and we have this sort of cultural and sort of emotional richness to our country, mm-hmm. which I think makes us quite different to a lot of Western countries. And it's actually one of the things that's really amazing about living here. And it's also one of the things that's amazing about what New Zealand projects offshore. Um, I guess on that point, when you first announced your candidacy for Wellington Central, there was a lot of talk about how you've been living in the UAE for a couple of years now and how you weren't necessarily connected to Wellington and like the troubles of Wellington, like this this whole issue in New Zealand in general, maybe particularly Wellington. So what makes you feel like, like I think that you're well-placed to represent Wellington Central as a... Yeah, well, look, I I first came here in 1999, so probably a lot of people at university weren't even born then. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, I've lived in um, Cleveland Street in Brooklyn. I've lived on the terrace. I I lived on um, Gladstone Terrace in Calburn. I've lived in Hatayatai. You know, I've worked in two different law firms and three different government departments. I've hung out, you know, a lot of the places around the city and done a lot of things in my life. I had my first child here. You know, we went through antenatal class. I've got a very strong community here. You know, we had a campaign launch on Friday night Mm. and uh, we had like about 170 people there. It was huge. And you know, what's really interesting about that is when you're in the public service like me, 
uh, you know, and you throw a campaign party, none of your mates want to come because they're all public servants. They're like, yeah. I'm not coming to your party. <laughs> and uh, we still had a huge number of people. And that, and what was interesting is when you looked around the crowd, it wasn't just national people. It was a full range of people from our community. So I've got mm-hmm. deep roots here. And I've always known that I would still down here with my children because I do think it's a really, really special place. And it fits like my personality, which is you know, I can't sort of reduce it, but I, I love the culture and the arts. I love academia. You know, I love the public service. There's a lot mm-hmm. of things to me. And I think that you sort of roll it all into what we have in Wellington, which is this city that kind of shoots to the sky and clings to the hill, hills. And it's just, it's a, it's a really special awesome. place. Okay. Cool. I guess, what's your favorite place in Wellington then? Just uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd actually say probably Oriental Bay. Nice. You know, because when on a summer's day, you know, you take the kids down to the park there, you go for a swim and you just feel like, you know, you look at those hills, the mountains, you look at the city, you look at the communities there. And what's cool about Wellington, I think, compared to a lot of cities, is the sort of crucible that is our city of all these different people kind of thrown in together of different mm. backgrounds, different um, cultures, different um you know, sort of different socioeconomics, but it's all there in one place. Because most big cities in the world, that's all sort of split out. You know, they have mm. suburbs and different places and stuff. And I think that that's something that we need to protect and promote is that diversity and that fact that Wellingtonians really do get on with everyone. And it's a very inclusive place, which I think is really mm. cool. Like it's a great community. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, I think that that's a good kind of summary of, of you as a person. So kind of moving more to the political side onto your party. So as you know, we have we have a lot of our quick fire questions that we start off for, yep. for for every politician that we have on here. So we'll we'll throw some of these at you. These these are kind of new ones because we usually do the same set of questions, but we've already had a national candidate answer our first set of questions, so you get blessed with our second set of questions. Okay. I hope they went well. <laughs> how, how did they go? Who was I'm it? I'm sure it was, was Chris Bishop. Oh, gosh, gee, then I'm never going to measure up. No, anyway. no, you'll gee. be fine, I'm sure. Okay, so firstly, in five words or less, what do you think is the biggest issue affecting young people today? Your future opportunities. Cool. Cool. Does your party support acts policy to increase taxes on low-income earners? Yes or no? No. Will your party increase funding to tertiary institutions in New Zealand on a per-student basis? We did it previously. Yes or no? Yes or no, in the future. I can't say. Unsure. Okay, unsure, that's fine. Does your party support more cars on roads? Yes or no? Electric cars, yes. Okay, yep. Cars total? Cars total, yes. Our future is going to be electric cars, but we can talk about this. Cool, (laughs) yep. And lastly, who's your fave musical artist? It's got to be Ed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then, here's a bonus Sharon's question Unite. What's this, which is your favourite song by him? Favourite song? Uh, I think probably Thinking Out Loud. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think that's, it's a classic, it's a ballad, it's got all the emotion, <laughs> it drips with, you know, it just makes you want to pull your heart out, doesn't it? I mean, nice. the guys, you know, I, I got onto Ed Sheeran, not because he's called Sheeran, but I got onto <laughs> him first before anyone else was listening to that guy. I got his I very first... I knew them when he was underground. Yeah, no, I did. Yeah, you make fun of me, Holly. No, it's true. And I remember sending a, the CD to my brother, who was really proud of picking the next big act. Like, he picked mm. Smashing Pumpkins before they got big. And he just made fun of me. He was like, who is this guy? Because he's like his early music, he sort of does some not really good rapping. And, uh, <laughs> he's moved back you into know, that And my brother well. was like, you know, this guy's not going anywhere. And like, so oh. I wish I'd taken, you know, made him sort of have a bit of a yeah, you know, dozen in the ad future. <laughs> garage Crazy. IPAs or something like that. So, yeah. Funny, funny. 
on a kind of Wellington specific note, there's been a lot of chat recently about Let's Get Wellington Moving, which is kind of a large Wellington Council driven infrastructure and transport plan, I think, to kind of simplify it to the best level. Um, And National has come out saying that they don't support it. And if you were elected, you would axe that plan. Do you want to talk a little bit just briefly about... Short reasons, and we can, you know, yeah, talk sure, about it. Yeah, sure, sure. So I think at a headline level, what I'd say about it is, so one thing's a missed opportunity. Like, that has taken up, the discussion around Let's Get Wellington Movement has taken up all the oxygen mm-hmm. away from a discussion about the future of our city, because our future of our city is not just transport or, mm-hmm. you know, the urban redevelopment. There's a lot more to mm-hmm. what we need to do here. The second thing is that, you know, what we really need when it comes to the issues that Let's Get Wellington Moving deals with, is a conversation in the community where everyone's voice is heard, Mm -hmm. where we consider what everybody will need for the future, and then we try to balance it off. And one of the reasons it's been so controversial is there's a lot of people who feel like they're not being listened to. Um, There was on the council website a place for you to submit however you felt about it. Right. And and so I, I also lived on one of the streets that would have been the Golden Mile. I got sent letter after letter about me being able to have my voice as somebody who lives in that street, as a city, a person in the city. Do you not think that consultation process was sufficient? Oh, gosh, how long have you got, Holly? Um, <laughs> the one thing that Let's Get Wellington Moving delivered, 92% of people were against it, Okay, oh, which okay. is the Cobham Bride Crossing, which slows cars down, creates more emissions. It costs $2.5 million. It makes no sense. It should have been an overbridge. And I can, I won't sort of unpack this here, but mm. the, the consultation processes have not been done according to effectively how they should. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can give you lots of examples of that. But I think what I would say about Let's Get Wellington Moving, thinking about well, what do we need? We need a city that is accessible to all different types of people. Mm-hmm. You know, so that means students, it means you know, people who are working in hospo, it means the elderly, it means people with families, you know, it means people who have persons with disabilities, like mm. all different types of people need to be able to access the city. The second thing we need with a transport plan is we need something that's affordable, mm-hmm. like actually that we will be able to pay for. Because what you'll probably know is the plans are currently $7.4 billion and they think they're going to be more. Mm. And, you know, what National says about light rail is, well, actually, it doesn't make sense in terms of the money and the money's not there. Like, you know, Wellington City Council's borrowed to its debt ceiling. Rates are going shooting through the roof. Every car park that's pulled out is going to be next year's rates increase because that's a big revenue thing. And I think probably the third thing is really, you know, if you go beyond the, the those two other issues, is emissions reduction. And, you know, the Greens and Labor have settled on a model for the second Mount Vic Tunnel Mm-hmm. which the New Zealand Infrastructure Commission, which is independent, says is not the best emissions-reducing option. And I think also we've got to plan for a future where cars will not be petrol cars. I mean, I really don't think in 20 years' time people are going to be driving around petrol cars. Mm-hmm. I think we'll be driving electric cars. And actually, we also need to think about our future in terms of, well, if we want to electrify this country, which is not only great for emissions reduction, but it's also going to be a key element of our future economy, uh, we've really got to get much more serious about renewable energy generation mm. because, mm. you know, World Bank says we've got no chance of producing the type of renewable energy, the amount that we want. And, you know, you probably know we burnt more dirty Indonesian coal in 2021 than we've ever burnt before. Mm. Okay. But I guess, what does it look like on a concrete level of like how, if, if nationals to get rid of, let's get land to moving and scrap the plan, 
what is Nash proposing to do instead? Like, to I replace... Because, like, obviously, Scotland's moving has taken a lot of air from the room, and it's been taken, like, what, five years? It's been going up and down, like, before, before it's been tossed around. But if it's... If that's going to moving and scrapped now, surely it's just pushing back any sort of meaningful improvement to our infrastructure back in other at least five, ten years. Uh, yeah, I don't agree with that. And, I mean, I think the three headline points for for um, National are fix the Basin Reserve, you know, the second Mount Vic Tunnel, and I think also opening up the Granada-Patoni link, which will mm-hmm. lead to a lot more housing development, which is really important for housing supply. Mm. But the other thing is, like, the, the Mount Vic Tunnel configuration that, uh, that National's supporting which will allow more private cars, more buses, and it will have a cycle and um, pedestrian lanes as well. So you will actually increase the capacity rather than keep it sort of constant. That's based on a very detailed research study which was done in 2013 called the Transport Spine Study. Hmm. We've always thought that was the way to go and National's ready to go straight away on it. And that study, if you read it, it's really good. And Hmm. I think one of the issues that we're seeing with a lot of um, the decisions in Wellington are that they're not evidence-based, right? So what what you can see, and I can show you videos of it, is we now have more traffic jams because of some of the road changes that have been made. So if you go to Tinakori, you'll see buses stopping in the middle of the road and cars piling up. You know, buses are going slower. Like, it is true that cyclists are going faster, but cars are going slower, buses are going slower. Same thing, you know, and on Adelaide Road. So you've really got to think about this stuff. And we've got amazing experts like there's a there's one guy on the council who's like a super duper bus expert you know knows everything about buses and but the thing is you know there's the evidence and doing your work like you would have seen in the news the the thing about how there was a estimate that was 250 million dollars off and and you know the the modeling they haven't actually done a study on courtney place yet they're getting ready to rip out all the car parks there's just you know i know i've been in government for a really long time and you know i just know that You've got to work with everyone. You've got to listen to everybody's interest. You've got to get the expert opinion, and you will get better outcomes. I think you're talking a lot about electric cars being the future, right? Yeah. Um, looking o- like looking overseas, mo- like the cities that are rated best for transport and livability and all of that kind of transport infrastructure are those who use mass transit modes, which is like a lot of pedestrianisation, um, a lot of like subway systems like light rail um, and like buses and things like that. Why is that not the route that you think we should go to based on the fact that all those countries uh, countries and cities have been listed really highly for like urban infrastructure? And secondly, on that note, if you are going to go down the electric car route, how do you provide way more parking in Wellington that doesn't exist and reduce the cost of that so then it is accessible for people? So just let's take those two questions yeah. one at yeah. a time because the last one you kind of blurted <laughs> out very fast with great passion, which is awesome. <laughs> I like that. I like passion and questions. But like when you're talking about these foreign cities, which cities are you talking about? Um, Hong Kong. I'm talking about like Paris. Vienna. Vienna. Yeah, look, so, so uh, this is going to be very easy for me to give you an answer to this then, is that when you design a transport system, right? Hmm. You're going to have to think about what's the population, what's hmm. the topography. Um, you know, these are really important factors. So hmm. if if Wellington was like Hong Kong, which had, you know, the millions of people that it has, or Paris, the millions of people that that has, then a, you know, something like a light rail system makes sense because you've got a huge, but we are absolutely nowhere near that kind of population. Plus, we also have a topography that's really, really challenging in the city. So mm. when you talk to a an expert transport planner, they are not going to say, 
uh, let's just get Paris and copy and paste that on yeah, Wellington. Of course. And yeah. the thing is that, like, literally, the the money's not there. Like, there is no money. The central government has not committed to the seven point four billion. Wellington City Council's at, as I said, at debt cap. Your rates, our rates, which then drive up your rents, are mm-hmm. going up twelve point four percent. And I reckon they're going to go up that much again next year. So that's going to be your rents going to keep increasing, right? And it means mm. that everyone's going to go to Canterbury because that's not happening there. Rates at Canterbury mm-hmm. are quite low. Yeah, they've managed the the system a lot better. So you know what I say about that is just it's. You know, there's two things. You've got to master the present before you dream of the future. Mm -hmm. But secondly, you really have to plan and be realistic. Like this idea that, you know, we'll build this super swish, you know, like a big city transport system. I mean, honestly, it's just, it's completely unfeasible. I mean, if we had unlimited money, yeah, great. Like if there was no opportunity cost, great. But Mm -hmm. there is enormous opportunity cost in Wellington. I mean, you know, and we're already seeing that. Like we're seeing some things not, working you know we're seeing money being pulled out of a lot of areas in Wellington Mm. we're seeing community organizations getting less funding from the council you know we're seeing a whole lot of places where that money's being pulled back and the government's doing the same thing they're reducing funding for refugees and all sorts of things because the fact that the spending's gone so out of control that there's no money left Okay. Okay. How much is Nashville proposing on spending on Wellington's transport? Because we talk about a lot about the seven, the seven point six billion dollar figure. Yeah. Currently, but what is Nashville's proposal? So I, I have to be really honest with you. I haven't memorised the the numbers. They Do you did, like a rough estimate though, off the top of your head. No, but I can get back to you on that. Okay. I mm-hmm. mean, they they put them out in the media yeah. when they did the costings. We largely use the costings from the government already, but you know, it's it's a lot less than seven point four billion. And the the big part of that infrastructure spend is actually the light rail because. Everyone seems to agree, Labor, Greens and National, that we're going to build a second Mount Vic tunnel. Mm. Um, Now, why it hasn't been started in the last six years, I don't know. Uh, But it seems everybody agrees we should do it. We had the great study in 2013. I mean, you know we've spent about, I don't know, $140 million on consultants in the last six years. Mm. And all we've got is a pedestrian crossing. And I, I really strongly believe you don't need six years to plan okay. to start projects. It's cool. it's not very good management of decision making. Cool. Returning to my to my previous passionate question <laughs> about <laughs> electric car parking and fees. Do you want to? Yeah, can you just so, ex- expand so, on yeah, again? Yeah. Yeah. So, you so, said it at no, such sorry, blinding I'll take, speed. I'll take, I'll take this one. Okay, so go for it. Given that you want, to, like you, you were talking about increasing, like like building more houses in Granada by like like fixing the Granada for Tony Link, and um, additionally, just like replacing these cars with electric cars. How do you propose on increasing the amount of parking currently in Wellington City? Because obviously it's quite hard to find a car park, and when you do, it's usually quite expensive in those parking buildings. So if you're moving toward having more people in Wellington, what is your proposal to keep these parking costs lower? Because it needs to be accessible, like you said. Well, I think probably what I what I, my starting point is not to increase the car parks, it's not to decrease the car parks. Because actually, like what you're going to do on the Golden Mile, it's not only remove all the car parks which allow accessibility for families, disabled, elderly, or, you know, whatever, but you're also going to reduce the, you're going to slow the buses down. The buses will actually be slower, there'll be fewer bus stops, and it also, if you have a an emergency, for example, in the central city, the ability for a fire engine to get in is actually going to be much more challenging than what it is now. So, you know, there's a lot of trade-off costs there, and I, I'll be very, you know, frank with you that I support cycleways, you know, I support the intents of the proposals about trying to make our urban environment better. And I actually think a lot of the people are complaining 
accept that we should have cycleways, accept that we should have better urban development, but it's all a question of balance and about getting the right balance between the different interests. And, you know, if you want to look at the one place in Wellington where there's no car parks, where the buses go through and it's been, you know, it's pedestrian and buses, it's Manor Street, and that's like a, a, a section of road which is just empty shops and discount stores. It's really not a great, vibrant place. Okay, but going back to the question, right, because, like, it's, agreed, there's definitely a trade-off, but what is your proposal, like, or the national's proposal in general, I guess, to increase accessibility of parking in Wellington? Because if the population in Wellington is growing, and it's expected to do so, yeah, what's the proposal to increase the If we have more electric cars, yeah. you, need, you need people to be able to get into the city to get all the economic yeah. benefit you I mean, about, I'm, right? I think there's an <laughs> assumption in your question, which is that I'm saying we need more cars. No, it's just... No, but I mean, uh, we're, we're talking about swapping out. Mm. I mean, yes, the whole point is that, you, you know, you promote public transport. I mean, look, when I was young, because I'm old now, I caught the bus everywhere in Wellington. My mm. bus always came. It was always on time. The system was really good. And I tell you what, I didn't sit, say to myself every morning, my God, we really need light rail. Um, and in fact, when you talk to a bus transport planner, what they'll tell you is that for non, except for during peak times, our roads are absolutely fine to manage our bus services. It's really the issue of peak time and the choke points that have been created, which have actually been made worse by some of the changes that the, the council's made. So my point is, I'm not advocating let's have lots more cars in the city. Absolutely not. And I think to try and say we must have more parking in the city, nope, not arguing for that. What I'm arguing about is that there is currently a move to take all the car parks away or a lot of them away. And there's a lot of people who say, you know, is that right, the right thing to do? Let's try and balance off the different interests. Okay, um, let's yeah. listen to the communities. And they feel that they're not being listened mm -hmm. to. I, mean, I, guess the, I guess we're asking the sort of lighter question because let's get one to moving has largely been referring to like getting cars out of the city. So by getting rid of let's get one to moving, presumably we wouldn't be getting the same number of cars out of the city. I guess that's the line of reasoning there. What is your take on that? Um, look, I, I, don't, I don't share the view of we need to get cars out of the city. Yeah. You know, I don't. Okay. Because the thing is that the cars are part of accessibility. Cars are part of the commerce. You know, it's hard to, to read what will happen in future. But, you know, there's a lot of retailers who are telling people don't open stores. Some who are planning to leave the CBD right now because, and in fact, I was speaking to a guy um, who runs a, a restaurant, and he was telling me that some of the changes already have made his profits drop 30%, and he's thinking of laying off staff. You know, it's quite serious, and he's really upset about it. And he said, you know, it's objective, it's empirical. Like, he thinks, I mean, whether I can't prove it, but certainly that's what he was saying to me. So, you know, it's it's possible to make our city wonderful for public transport without having a war on cars. And, you know... It's, uh, and, you know, certainly I think I have a concern about the idea that we need to have a war on cars, cars because of emissions reduction. Like, I think that's a false proposition because actually the future is not going to be cars that are petrol, you know, belching out emissions. Mm -hmm. They're going to be different because our future looks really different. And I think New Zealand needs to be ambitious and progressive about how we see ourselves electrifying and also turning ourselves because electrification in New Zealand can actually be an enormous opportunity to lift, lift exports, to lift our living standards. You know, I can tell you more about that if you like. But actually, yeah, I mean, what is national proposal for electrification of New Zealand? Like, well, the, the issue with electrification is that our demand for electricity in this country is increasing at a greater rate than we're generating renewable energy. Plus, our renewable energy advantage is attracting 
people who come here and use our renewable energy. So uh, you might have read there's a lot of data centres opening up in New mm. Zealand. So they're gobbling up a lot of the new energy as well. And as I said earlier, things like when you shut down gas exploration, it's shifted us into using dirty coal. You know, we, ex- we import a lot of dirty coal and burn it. And I can tell you that if you have, you know, Nash, uh, Labor is focused more on some of the demand measures than the supply. So one mm. thing they did is they put all this money into the idea of, of creating an electric furnace at the steel mill. You know, you give the Australian company a whole lot of money to help them buy an electric furnace. If that electric furnace comes online in six months, it's going to have to be run by burning coal because there is no renewable energy to, because it's a huge amount of energy. So National's proposal is a couple of things. One, let's start fast-tracking, consenting for renewable energy, and really have a big, big focus and push the targets for creating that. And there are, New Zealand has huge opportunities, including an offshore wind. Second, we have one of the lowest um, capital-intensive economies in the world. We have one of the worst foreign direct investment performances in the Mm -hmm. world as well. And we've actually changed our rules in the last six years to make the country less attractive. We already have one of the highest corporate tax rates in the world. I mean, like Sweden has a corporate tax rate of 20.5%, which is a hell of a lot lower than ours. There's a lot of opportunity to bring in investment to build a whole lot of an energy, renewable energy generation that would not otherwise be built. And, you know, that's really cool because we can electrify New Zealand, but it's also cool because people want to buy that energy. Um, you probably don't know this, but you know Japan. The, the, the governments of Japan and Korea are literally knocking on New Zealand's door, saying, "When you can start making green hydrogen, we'll buy it off you." And then you know Labor's talking about um, this, a pumped storage project at Lake Onslow. I'm not sure if you've heard about that, but it's mm-hmm. the idea is like it's a giant battery. You store yeah. electricity when you need it, and that it's. I personally think it's a good idea, but that particular project is way, way bigger, way, way more expensive than what we need. But if you end up being able to produce green hydrogen in this country, which there's a project starting, I think, at Lake Taupo to try and do that, that's something you can use as your energy storage mechanism to get you to from 84% renewable more towards 100 And then the other thing about that is in future, I think buses, trucks and airplanes are probably going to be run on some sort of fuel like green hydrogen. So all of that's just to say to people is that our future is absolutely bound up in that so how we solve mm-hmm. that issue. And I think, you know, Nationals got the same target as the Greens, same target as Labor. we just got a different plan how to do it. But, and I'm happy to, you know, debate with anyone toe-to-toe that our plan will actually deliver better emissions reduction but also better economic opportunities for New Zealanders. general right just I think we know what it looks like now we know what the council has planned for it you obviously disagree with some of those but if you were to get elected as um the MP for Wellington Central what changes can we expect what is your priority for Wellington um apart from all the transport stuff that we've just discussed um if you have like one secondary thing you want Wellington to achieve what does it look like what changes can we expect okay so there's there's probably a a process answer to that and a Mm. substance answer and the process answer is I think we need a Wellington Central MP who is in the community reaching out and listening to everybody and trying to do something with what everybody says. And, mm-hmm. I, and I really don't feel like that's necessarily happening at the moment. And mm. I've already had one example um, where I got involved in helping to solve an issue where ch- um, some high school kids were being kicked off the school bus by um, the Minister of Education. And there was like one and a half months. Um, they asked 
the Ministry of Education, who didn't fix it. They asked Grant Robertson's office, who didn't fix it. Uh, the high school took it up with the Ministry of Education, didn't fix it. I held a stand up at the um, school in the a very early morning over in Macro, mm. and uh, someone from Grant Robertson's office turned up. So did um, Mr. Bravman and Mayor, who's a very nice man. Mm. And um, it was all fixed in 24 hours because there was a pressure and a realization that that decision could not be justified. And, you know, the community was very, very thankful for that change. So, you know, I'm not even an MP, but I'm already achieving some things. So I think listening to people. The second thing is Wellington has the capacity. It is, or I think already in reality, this kind of vibrant, creative capital of New Zealand. But it really should be the creative capital of, you know, Australasia and an even broader region. And there is something that needs to be done there, you know, in community with the local council, central government, business community, civil society organisations to really build um, that creativity and attract a lot more investment, you know, into mm. housing, into business, into social enterprise. And like one thing people don't know about the National Party is, which is actually kind of part of social investment, um, Bill English's thinking and actually a lot of centre-right thinking is that we want to put a lot more money into community organisations. So, like, instead of just spending $1.8 on mental health when no one's really clear what it achieved, we would put a very substantial pot of money aside for community organisations and say, you know, why don't you make a bid? If you've, if you've got an idea to set up an organisation that might build programmes for high schools, tell us and we'll fund it. And we, we do that because community organisations often do a better job mm. um, and they're very effective and efficient. And they also, you know, there's possibilities there. Like I'm talking to some people in Wellington about marrying up the concerns and the problems of mental health with the software service community and what they want to do on AI mm. to find opportunities for what we can do that will help people and also help New Zealand and probably also help our economy because, you know, we mm. can create something. Those are all things that are happening now. And like I just, I love talking to people, finding opportunities, trying to do something with it and advocating for people. It's kind of what I've done most of my life. Mm. And, you know, I just think this is a really cool city. There's some creative people. I mean, I went and visited um, Street Motion, the guys who make the electric motorbikes. Mm -hmm. Amazing story. And, you know, I'll tell you two things that stuck out when I spoke to them. One, you know, asking them about their international competitors. And they, they're all these big companies overseas that have huge R&D departments, and they're not miles ahead of this little wee Wellington company. And then the second thing I said to them, like, how's it you made all this stuff? They made the software, they designed the battery, they built the frames from scratch, they do everything. And they what what's clear is that they, they cooperate with people in the Wellington ecosystem and the community. They mm. get ideas from other people. And that's a very Wellington thing to do. Yeah, definitely. I think, and I agree with that. I think that those are all really good things to be doing. I think the kind of last final... <laughs> Question. The last final, kind of final, definitely final, no final. more. This is it. This is Holly's <laughs> here. This is it's all over. The big one. Come on, Holly, bring the, it on. The, just, yep. just the extension of that discussion, right? Is that a lot of politicians are active in the community and really, really like advocating for people because that is what they've chosen to do. Why should people vote for you as opposed to people like Tamitha Paul, Ibrahim Omar, Natalia Albert um, as well, Taylor O'Neill from NZ First? You have a lot of candidates, and I think that this is a spit like we were talking about this with, with Natalia Albert, is this a particularly special election because previously New, um, Wellington has kind of been bound to the guaranteed list candidates, right, that we're going to get in like James Shaw and Grant Robertson and Nicola Willis, right? Um, so now that's kind of changed and we have more new faces. What specifically do you bring that is unique and why should we vote for you over the other candidates? 
Look, you know, that that's a hard question to answer in the sense that I'm not going to compare myself to the other candidates. I think that's really – no, honestly, it's, yeah, it's, for, it's for voters to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what I offer is, you know, I'm a person, an individual who believes that I can really help deliver, and I know that mm-hmm. I've done that through my career. Yeah. And, you know, I want to deliver for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, my sort of – values, which I think include being socially liberal and, and sort of I'm part of the Blue Greens as well, I think do align quite well with Wellington Central. But, you know, I've worked from one end of the spectrum to the other. I mean, I've stood on the world stage chairing United Nations meetings at the same time as I've worked in the freezing works, you know. Mm. And I just simply say, you know, meet the candidates. Whatever you can do is go to a debate, meet the candidates. If you see them at have the market chat. door knocking, have a chat. And then you will be in a position to decide who you think can actually deliver on what you think is important. And that's it. Like, get to know the candidates, be active, make sure you vote. Like, whether it's for me or someone else, doesn't matter. I mean, you make, be, make it an informed decision because yeah. it's really important. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for that. Um, I guess this is just sort of the... Oh, hang on. Um, I thought that was the yeah, final, yeah. final, no, final... final you just plug if you want to <laughs> or is, not. Yeah, but. this is a final opportunity for you to do any call to action if you would like yeah. to kind of conclude the episode today. Just leave uh, yours well, I, I suppose you've kind of already yeah. done that. Go out and meet your candidates. Make well, an look, decision. I mean, the, the one thing I would end on is the note that I have been telling people in the National Party, mm. you know, I think after the election we have a crisis in the tertiary education sector and we mm-hmm. need some very serious tertiary education policy development Mm. I don't think it's going to be a case of kicking it you know off the road to some external body of people who will give you the magic answer which then won't be implemented the answers are already there in the community with the tertiary education unions uh, unions the students the the vice chancellor all of these different people but there's some issues there that really really need to be fixed because the future Mm -hmm. of our country really does a big part of it is the quality of our tertiary education Mm -hmm. sector the experience and how it can contribute to our society. And I mean, I was at a, um, you know, I was at a lunchtime event today where they were talking about the, um, basically the huge cuts to the theatre studies department. And, you know, I think I was the only political person there sort of discreetly hiding, you know, just listening. But it was really interesting to hear because what it tells you is this sort of story that a lot of people outside universities don't understand is that they're just the extremely diffuse and interesting ways that universities contribute to our society. Because one of the things they're saying in the theatre studies context is they're saying this is a place and a home for people who often don't want to learn or do other things and mm. have a great contribution to make to our society in terms of telling our stories. But that has a social contribution, a cultural contribution, and an economic contribution. And a lot of people just don't understand how important some of the things are that are happening on campus. So mm. I think it's really important. And so it's another reason why students need to get out there and vote and think about, well, what's the future look like? Who can really do it? You know, are you, do you think that the last six years or the last year has been the right way? Mm. Is there possibilities for another way? And I think the final thing I just say is have an open mind. Like just look, you know, challenge your perceptions because there's a lot going on you know, where I think people don't really understand national, where national's at on, for example, Greens issues or things like that. Um, you know, there's some amazing people, me excluded, I'm terrible, but there's some <laughs> really cool candidates. I mean, like I did the street motion visit with Tama Potaka, and I mean, he's possibly one of the most impressive guys I've ever seen, you know. Mm. And he's he's a, you know, he's a National Party MP now. So, cool. but otherwise, thank you. Cool. you know? Thank you so much. Thank, thank you for coming so and joining us. We'll see you next week.